Welcome to the Urbanist Agenda, the podcast where we relive the good old days and some of the bad old days, too. I'm joined today with my co-host, my wife. Welcome to the podcast, Mrs. NJP. Thank you. I feel welcome. We have been living in the Netherlands now for five years, and so we thought it would be a good idea to sit down and talk about what that's been like, what we've observed in the last five years, what we like, maybe what we don't like, what's different compared to other places that we lived. Where and, we're going to move next. And we're, <laughs> we're not moving again. <laughs> At least not until we're retired. Maybe then we can talk. But yeah, so what do you think? Five years in the Netherlands. Five years, yeah. It's gone fast. It's it been, has gone um, fast, yeah. In the places we've lived together, I think we're now approaching the longest we've been. If you take both times we were in Toronto and attach them together, that's Yeah, but they were like a decade apart from each other, so. Yeah, and then London was six years with about a year stint in Taiwan in between. Ish. So I think yeah. it's a bit shorter than that, yeah. but yeah. So. Yeah. So, but yeah, this it was is under five before we moved to Taiwan. This is definitely yeah. up there. So yeah. it's interesting, right? Well, I know. Well, I know. And it's been just so fantastic to live here. I know that we've commented on this before that sometimes you just stop and like look around and think, wow. Yeah. This is just so great. I'm so glad yeah. I live here. I, we still do it today, right? We do. We do. And it's not just the like, you pop into the like pretty parts of the canals and you're like, oh, the architecture is so pretty. It's not that. It's just like the everydayness of it. Like, I think this little things like when you pull up to the grocery store and the bike parking is literally right out front. Right. And it's not like there's three bikes. There's like a pack of bikes. I always find that so cool. Yeah. I mean, like it's just that's just so stuff it's is so normal. It's such a pain in the ass when you go to DePipe though, because there's nowhere to park in DePipe. And so, yeah. every, like, we went out there what just the other night, right? And it took me ages to find a place to park my bike. Yeah, which is cool, and also like it. Yeah, at the same time. <laughs> but bit, most like, of the time, yes, yes. you go yeah. there. There's parking right out front. There's a spot right there. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to go around the back behind the dumpsters and pull the bike rack away from the side of the building so you can lock up your bike. Do you remember that grocery store in Riverdale, the No Frills? Yeah. That had that bike rack. Yeah. But it would always have like two or three like staff who parked there. Yeah. Very few of us customers. And it was like tucked off to the side, chained down to nothing. Just such it, an you know, it was a weird thing that had this bar over the top. It was yeah. like too high. So you had to like lift your bicycle in order to put your U-lock on it. It was really bizarre. Yeah. But also, I mean, remember they... U-locks? <laughs> <laughs> nobody it's, uses U-locks here. It's funny that nobody uses U-locks here, no. right? They all use chain locks. And, and I people mean, will die on the hill of U-lock is better. In Canada, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. But and, same with the bicycle style, that it should be the more like racing bike style. People will adamantly Yeah, they'll that say well. that it gives you more power if your legs bring more power to I mean, the pedal. All technically like true, that. but... But like, yeah. Christ, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's been good, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it has been good. And we did do the check-in around... I don't know if it was six months or a year because we did do it in Belgium. I do remember when we did that check in and we were both like a little shy at first. And then we're like, oh, you know, I don't really know if I like it here as much. I think it's okay. Yeah, it's in okay. Belgium, yeah. In Belgium. Yeah. And then eventually the conversation turned to like, I actually really don't like it here. <laughs> I really don't like it here either. <laughs> oh, okay. We should make a plan to get out of here then. Yeah. Whereas when we did the check in for Amsterdam, we we're both like, no, this is no, awesome. I like Still it. Awesome. And I think I said to you exactly like, I knew I was going to like it because I feel like I'm generally pretty agreeable that I will probably slot in and fit in just fine in almost anywhere in the world and be like, right. reach some level of like content slash happiness. But I think I said to you, I knew I would like it. I was surprised by how much I liked it right. and how much I was happy to be here. So what do you think your favorite thing about living here is? Well, I think the fact that like riding a bike is just not a thing. 
Like, it's not a discussion point. Right. I'm so glad that that's not... It became like your identity in Toronto. Yeah. Like, as soon as you rode a yeah. bike, like, you were in this club and, like... I mean... You were labeled a cyclist and people wanted to get you, like... And I love my friends for it. But, like, I have, like, cycling gift, like, things from people. Like It's um, like when you're a music teacher and everything you get has, like, musical yeah, notes on it. Yeah, <laughs> it is like that. And it was, like, it, lovely thoughts and I forever appreciate it. But it was funny to be, like, huh, I just ride a bike to work. I don't really identify as, like... I mean, that was the... big part of me, but... That was where I did my I am not a cyclist was one of my yeah, first videos, yeah. right? Because that's what it was all about. Like nobody makes a big deal out of it. Nobody cares. And same thing I mentioned in my business parks video that when they asked how I got there and I said public transit, that they didn't care. Like nobody judged that. Nobody like was surprised or anything. They just wanted to know if they needed to validate my parking. or not. Yeah. And they were kind of glad they didn't have to actually because it was one less thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, my favorite thing is how the kids can cycle too, right? And mm -hmm. they have so much freedom especially our oldest of course now that he's in high school when we lived in toronto the kids were definitely younger but we didn't bike with them that much on the streets right like we went down to the trails more or to the well, island remember we used to have that trailer on the back of our bicycle mm -hmm. that i had jury rigged those car rooftop bike carriers oh on the white trailer yeah on the white tra yeah white yeah. trailer I just recently sold that on Mark Platz because we haven't used that it in the last five years. That was such a great trailer. They it was made, a great trailer. They're from Guelph, weren't they? Yeah, they're, yeah and they they're still in operation. Not an ad, but they actually made <laughs> such a nice... I remember that trailer being really nice quality. It was really good. Maybe because we bought the Chariot one used. Yeah. And I think it had been used by a few people, so it was a bit more beaten up, whereas maybe Wyke was new. Maybe that was part of it. But it was... Yeah, you kind of like hacked onto it a rack well, to be able to carry the kid's bike because yeah we used to talk like we wanted to this is part of what was frustrating about toronto is that we lived in the city we were yeah. downtown we were in riverdale yeah and you wanted to go something like the island toronto is amazing it has this beautiful park and also like people who live on the island but they have this beautiful place car free island yeah have a video about it it's if you amazing want to check it out and, not just and yet i want to get there with my kids to ride bikes and i mean you can't really take all of our bikes on transit no. because i think the average ttc bus would hold what two, two bikes i think on they the had front? a rack for two yeah right so i don't know how anyone else is really getting their stuff down there but we used to struggle with it like i think we knew people who drove and they would do like surface lot parking lot yeah. to be honest my experience listeners would know but i grew up in toronto and i grew up at like midtown toronto so like in the city and when we did that we would take the bikes on the back of the car up on the rack and we would park down back though in this is like 80s to early 90s there were a ton of surface lots down yeah, there the downtown those are all, was basically one big parking lot. those are all condos and i think that parking situation is gone but that is what we used to do to get to the island because it was such an amazing place to go biking but you and i were quite frustrated to be like it's here and we can't access it. And we yeah. also had to go from like where we were in Riverdale, you had to go to the one section where there was ferries. Like there was no other access points from the east or the west of mm -hmm. the islands. Mm -hmm. Everyone had to be funneled into that one ferry terminal. And it was just too dangerous for the kids to cycle by themselves. I think maybe once or twice before we were leaving, our oldest son did bike home, but it was tough. Like yeah, you, right. you kind of had to pick your routes. And he had to ride on the sidewalk and we had to ride next to him. Yeah, and then like, if there were parked cars, he had to ride on the sidewalk on the other side of the parked cars and we had to like yeah. watch him. And Yeah. I mean, it was but not you, pleasant. But do you remember how much Toronto was like, if you wanted to go anywhere on a bike, you had to pick your route. Yes. You had to spend time and yes. figure out where was your route and where was the bike lane and where was the safest way to go. And I think that's something that's different here. Like 
I feel like there's definitely better routes you can take when yeah, you're here in uh, like, Amsterdam. Like I've learned the ones where you can avoid traffic lights or yes. where there's going to be fewer cars or whatever. But generally, you can just go and be like, I need to go in that direction. Yeah. And, and just off go. you go. Yeah. Like, there's never really a terrible route that you end no. up on in Amsterdam. There's no bad roads. There's just some routes are more efficient than others, maybe more pleasant than others, yeah. have more trees than others, but there's no bad routes. Whereas in Toronto, you very much have to route plan. And that was one of those things where like the city would throw down sharrows and it would be on some bike map somewhere yeah. and a bunch of novice cyclists would end up out on these sharrows on whatever on Jarvis Street or something. And like it was dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Like genuinely dangerous. Because I remember my ride to work, if I went direct, which would have been along like Gerard, which at the time had no cycle infrastructure at all. I think it was just over five kilometers. But I could never take that because if I took that route, that's where I used to get run off the road and like honked at and stuff. Gerard was pretty hostile. It was really, really, really bad. Yeah. yeah. And so I couldn't take that route, even though that was the fastest way for me to get to work. I couldn't do it. It was too dangerous. Mm. And the drivers were too aggressive and people just hated cyclists and would just run you off the road if they saw you just to spite you. And so I had to take a much more circuitous route. And I remember it was just over seven kilometers. So I was adding two kilometers. That is actually quite a distance when you think yeah, about right? it. I'm adding two kilometers on top of my five kilometer bike ride just so that I wouldn't get run off the road and so that I wouldn't get killed have, by a yeah. car. It does make it a more pleasant experience, but it's also that it just, like you said, it's like, so I don't get run off the road. Yeah. Like, whereas when I bike to work now, like I take the kids to school in the morning or I take the youngest one, the older one is off on his own. And then I can bike like almost any route. And it's sometimes just whatever I feel like that day. Or I'm going to go maybe to this place for coffee in the morning. Or right. I'm going to take maybe a slightly longer route because it's sunny. Or it's, you know, I've got to rush for a meeting. And it doesn't really matter. You just take any route and it's all basically the same. Yeah. Like, yeah. As I said, there's like no yeah. bad route. And sometimes you take public transit to work as well. Or even if it's a really nice day, sometimes you walk, right? Just then you mm -hmm. have those options available to you. If mm -hmm. you're going out with a bunch of coworkers, maybe you'll take public transit because you know you'll go with them out and around the town. And you don't have to worry about dragging your bike with you. The options are available to you. Yeah. Although I found too that like I'll bike to work and then leave it in that sweet, sweet bike parking garage. Like, <laughs> right. I've no I mean, I guess we moved when it was just being built down in the Zaudas area. Yeah, like, Stravinsky land parking garage. Yeah. It yeah, was, but was the, brand the new. other one, I guess the one directly under the station was not yet renoed. But then on the other side, I think it's the Mallerplein one is yeah. actually was also done around the same era. But I do remember the first time I went under, I don't know if we went together or separate, but the first reaction of like, what is this? Yeah, know, like, right. The most beautiful parking garage you've ever seen for bicycles. Yeah. And it's just there. Whereas I remember when I worked at Young and Bloor in Toronto, I think I just had to park my bike and whatever ring and post, like the standard street furniture that Toronto does. Right. And then when I moved to a company downtown in the financial district, a couple of those big towers, like the TD towers, had some nice racks. And they were actually like, they put the racks underneath like a covered area. And I was like, that's nice. They actually thought of something for me. Like right. the odd time they so would actually have. On, yeah. yeah, if there was any elements or anything else. Although, you know what I did find with the parking there? It was coincidentally like the exact same area as the roped off area for smokers. So when they come out of the building and they have to be a certain distance away from the door, it was basically the bike rack. And right. so you're parking up, like locking up your bike and being like, this is just not the air I want to breathe. <laughs> yeah. That was poor planning. But yeah, the parking garage in Amsterdam, you just look and you're like, geez, this is what happens, I guess, when so many people bike and use that station and it's... Well, it's taken seriously, right? It's treated as a 
first class form of transportation. And they need to because otherwise the surface area is just overflowing with bicycles. Right. I mean, it still does. I think right. one of you, your parking video must have mentioned it to be like the average person's psychology doesn't want to bother with putting the bike underground. Like there's still an inherent laziness in human nature. Yeah, but also when you ride a bike, one of the benefits is you can just park right out front. That's what everyone always yeah. thinks. And that's fine until you have 2,000 people that want to park yeah. right out front. So they have like that giant parking garage there. They have three of those huge yes. parking garages. And yet they're still like all around the train station, the surface area is still of bikes although they do take them away sometimes i know I've my bike ended tag. up in bike jail once. <laughs> i remember your bike ended up in bike jail <laughs> i and i was so annoyed because i think i was only in the office for a couple hours and i parked it there just to be out of like the human nature lazy no it's fine i'm only gonna be here a couple hours no big deal and i came back out like two and a half hours later and it was the day that they came and scooped all the bikes and although it was kind of interesting to see like, okay, so what's the process now? How do you get it back? Turned out very organized process to get it back. Like they photographed it. Right. You they found it on the website. website. Yeah. You could reclaim it. And then you have to pay a fee to get it back for them to deliver it. But all in all, I was actually like, this is an organized process and it's fine. Well, And, they, and I made a mistake. I know I shouldn't have done it. They had the yeah. option to deliver it to your house as well yeah. for an extra. I forget. what I remember it being like 10 or 20 euros like enough that it was annoying but not so much that you're like you're like fine okay i'll just pay to have the not so much that i'll go buy a new bike <laughs> True. like some of those cheap dutch bikes you can get under 100 euros right isn't the very first one the one that's in your video isn't that one that we bought for like 100 euros somewhere? no well we bought it new i think we didn't know what we were doing we bought it at sparta pizza plum <laughs> new yeah it was not used what we should have done is buy a used bicycle by a good brand yeah. Like a Batifus or Gazelle or Azor or something like that. Although they go fast on Mark Platt's. Yeah, they worth. do. And you have to know what you're looking for if you don't know your bikes. And I feel like I didn't really know my bikes. Like I rode bikes before, but I was never really into them. So I never. You weren't knew, a cyclist? Believe it or not. I never knew like what to look for, like whether no. gears were good quality or not, you know, or any of that stuff. Right. So I felt like I wasn't really qualified to buy something used. And so we bought it new and we paid too much for a bike that's of like okay quality like it's fine i remember but, relative to canadian prices we thought it was quite cheap yeah it was quite cheap compared yeah. to canadian. well because in canada you can't buy a bike that's not a complete piece of garbage for less than about six or seven hundred dollars right yeah. at the time i think it's more now and if you wanted an upright dutch style bicycle there was yeah, a premium it was out of the question. yeah i think those are starting to become more common now but like you could buy cheap bikes at canadian tire but those things were really really terrible like I they would rust canadian tire to be honest you miss canadian tire what do you yeah. miss about canadian tire it just kind of like felt like it had everything it was funny so in the past like i have worked in real estate and i do remember um, commercial real estate commercial is, real yeah. estate yeah, to be clear right commercial real estate i remember talking to somebody in the industry who worked in the public sector of it so this is like a public REIT I think they were actually even working for the Canadian Tire REIT and whenever they were talking to American investors about it American investors didn't understand like there was no exact equivalent to understand what the store was and why was it doing successful and why was it more resilient than any kind of a peer of the U.S. but it was basically just Canadians being like you don't get it it's a good store it had it's like Canadian Tire yeah it was good except I mean the bikes were garbage I remember in yeah. Canada, the joke is from like actual cyclists. They call them BSOs, bike-shaped objects. <laughs> but they were guaranteed to fall apart within a year or two of using them. And yeah, probably almost every kid's bike went through there. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's where you buy your super yeah. cheap kid's bike that they're going to outgrow and that they're going to lose it or damage it yeah. or something. And you don't Alternatively, care. I love Hema. 
I think it's such an amazing yeah, store. Yeah. True. You gave up Canadian Tire, but you got Hema. I did. So, you know. Yeah. And I did find the first couple years, I used to say to you, to be like, there was just whatever you needed. And if I popped into Hema, it was always there. And I couldn't understand, like, these stores are not big. They don't have a big footprint. And yet they would always just have a little bit of everything. Yeah. And so you'd look and you'd be like, oh, I need like a rain cover for my bike seat, or I need furniture pads that are scraping the floor, or I need to pick up a tea kettle, or I don't know. It was just the most bizarre, random things. And it was always there. It was the most And their stock perplexing. is constantly like rotating through. So if you go buy pajamas there last year, they mm -hmm. would all be the same pajama. And then this year, it would all be the same pajama, but a different pajama than it was last year. And mm -hmm. like, that is kind of funny. You would also see sometimes people would have like Hema lunch boxes. Yeah. All the kids would have Hema lunch boxes, and they'd all be the one from last season. What about the rain gear? <laughs> yeah, the rain gear. Well, right. We took our oldest son to a sailing camp, and they were there for a week sleepover. And then at the end, <laughs> you had to collect all the gear because the kids were just shit at like actually packing their own bags and they had a giant pile of lost and found and there was like 20 Hema rain suits <laughs> yeah, right. all exactly the same because why would you buy any other rain suit other than the one in Hema it was so cheap so right true. for you that your kid's gonna leave at camp anyway yeah yeah that's true <laughs> but I do love it here how the kids can have so much independent mobility as well because they can cycle on their own and our oldest does cycle like to school by yeah. himself and he just goes right and that started with that he would cycle with us and then he would cycle with us, but a bit ahead. And then he was just getting there before we even like got our shoes on and he just started going on his own. And now, I mean, he just goes out even when he was 12, he was just going out with his friends. He'd just be like, I'm yeah. just going to meet up with my friends. And I'm like, OK, keep in touch. Right. I mean, we have cell phones now and I feel like it's not even difficult, it's easier than it would have been decades ago. But yeah. But like in Canada, you just don't have 12 year olds just roaming the city by themselves. Which is funny because when I was 12, growing up in Midtown Toronto, definitely there was boundaries where we could go. But like we could go down the street to our friends' houses. We could go right. to like the school playground, the park. Like there was definitely the park, actually, when I think about it. We did have a fair amount, but it's changed over the years. And I think you've talked about it in some of your videos, too, but like whatever people's perception of safety is on it. Well, there's when a lot we, more cars. They drive we, faster yeah. and they're bigger. When we lived there with kids in Toronto, like that was definitely a big concern for me was like just getting hit by a car, hit by an SUV, not being seen. I mean, so like when we lived there, we were only a few hundred meters away from the school. But yeah, we but that stop sign, people I know, right? through it every single time. So we would walk together with them and be like, yeah, this is very easy for a little kid to not be seen by this giant isn't vehicle. it screwed up, though, that like we were a few hundred meters away from the school yeah. and we were still in a traditional walkable neighborhood and we were still scared to have our kids walking because so many drivers would just run through stop signs yeah. or like roll stop through them. And they're driving these huge SUVs with these big hoods and they couldn't see kids at all. No. And I don't think that's just us being like paranoid. There was a lot of people like that, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I remember I remember in front of the school, it was a no stopping zone. So you weren't supposed to drop off your kids there. But people would do it anyway. And they just drive their SUVs like up onto the sidewalk so that they weren't blocking the road. And I remember one time where somebody pulled their SUV up on the sidewalk and then the kid like swung the door of the SUV open, which, of course, went across the entire sidewalk whacked a kindergarten kid right in the face and knocked him over he's there crying and everything and yeah. and eventually like people complained to the school that like this was ridiculous that these cars were pulling up on the sidewalk yeah. in this no stopping zone so they did what they do in toronto and they made it no longer a no stopping zone and made it an official drop-off point and told the kids to be careful 
Yeah. Which is they insane, did, right? Um, they did send, I think, a police officer for a while to patrol it a bit. There was some like a traffic safety thing that happened sometime in the first year or two that we lived there. And there were cops who were there and they actually said like, the reality is like, it's not outsiders from your community because this safety group was formed before we even moved there. Right. And it was like someone, people were complaining about the speeding that was happening through and there was general view that there was like taxis waiting at one area I think it was even in that no frills parking lot, the grocery store parking lot, right. waiting to be called to be get pickups from like, I think it was the hospital or the health center around the corner. And they would then like speed through the neighborhood. And it was this big like fury that there's like these outsiders speeding through our neighborhood. And so the local counselor had put together this like Riverdale traffic safety group thing. And when they'd come back to present their ideas as to what they wanted to do, and it was like flipping the one way streets to try to like make it more of a maze and everything right. else. But in that, town hall which was like which was like 150 200 people attended it was crazy yeah there were a couple of cops who put their hand up to be like you talk about it being an outsider problem but the reality is it's like this is the community whenever we get called to do safety spot checks in front of schools you wouldn't believe what comes out of the mouths of the parents dropping off their kids yeah and that's what they were trying to also say is like you always want to blame it as like something outside the community it's like no 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 it is the community here who is you know, the crazy drivers and stuff. The thing is with the dropping off your kids at school is that it was a traditional walkable neighborhood and there were several schools. And so the catchment area for each school was very small, yeah. which meant that every kid could walk to school. Like it was not so far that they couldn't walk to school. Yeah. There were a few people from out of catchment. They were extraordinarily rare. So what these parents were doing is they were driving like 300 meters, 200 meters to drop their kids off at school park up on the sidewalk in front of the school just so that then once they were done, they could go and drive to their work, yeah. right? Like that's what was happening here. Yeah. And it was crazy because I remember at one of these discussions, they were saying, well, maybe people could park a block or two away and then walk in with their kids. And that was like, oh my God, I can't park. Like, I mean, it was crazy. It was absolutely insane. The discussion yeah. happened and eventually it's now an official drop-off area in front of the school and they just told the kids to be careful and stay away from it. Like, yeah. I'm actually surprised in Amsterdam when the kids school that there's actually a fair amount of people who do drop off by car. Yeah. And there's a cluster of schools there. So it's definitely a bit chaotic in the morning. The amount of kids who bike was also eye opening. It was absolutely shocking. It is crazy. The yeah. number of kids showing up at school and the buck feats in with little kids and the parents bringing other yeah. kids and the older kids coming it, in it, by themselves. It definitely took me a few weeks to get used to it. So like. You know, you've ridden a bike plenty of times in your adult life, right? Yeah. And then we moved. We actually, we visited here. So we knew what Amsterdam was like. We knew what Copenhagen was like. We lived in like London and Brussels and stuff. But even when we moved here, those first two weeks when we were like taking the kids to school and I was biking to work, I'm like, this is actually pretty intense. Like yeah, there's it a is. lot of There's a flow. lot of people yeah. cycling around and kids and little kids and bigger kids and yeah, it's intense. There's yeah. so many And I think people. in the, those first couple of weeks, there were still the scooters, the Snorfeets, and we're still allowed right. in it at the same time. Right. They're not allowed anymore. But yeah, it was a bit chaotic, but I definitely saw some stuff like in school drop-offs. Like I have seen like bike on bike, they hit each other at like an intersection. That happens. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's very minor. Everyone, yeah. It, yeah, it's minor. Everyone just like looks a bit startled, gets up, checks, everything okay. Like, or when there was ice, like sometimes in winter, I've seen a few times where people do take like a bit of a spill on ice, but you know, generally like. Well, it's just the speeds are relatively out. slow, right? So nothing's yeah. really serious. Like I've seen some bike crashes here, but they're very minor. Usually yeah. everybody kind of slows down and then they kind of bump together. Maybe they kind of get a you know bit of the bike caught in another spoke of the other bike and they have yeah. to kind of 
undo it, but nothing serious. Like there's nothing serious I've seen in five years. No, not really. No. So let's think about like all the different places we've lived together, right? Like I lived in the US, but you didn't live with me there. But we lived in Toronto. Mm -hmm. We lived in the UK in London. Mm -hmm. I lived in Cambridge, but you weren't there with me in Cambridge, only in London. Brussels, and of course, Taipei and Amsterdam. If you had to take the best part of each mm. one and make like your ideal city, what do you think you would do? I think the size of Amsterdam definitely appeals to me. And maybe this is our stage of life. When we were younger, before kids, I loved how big London was and how like yeah. something was happening. The city was definitely buzzing. It was busy and everything. Now that I guess at this stage of life, I actually love that Amsterdam is what it is, the size that it is, that it's a big city without being chaotic, without having the sprawl. I love that it has concerts and major musical acts will come right. and do like their shows here. We have tons of festivals and... It has a pretty jumping button, plenty of protests and stuff too that like yeah. big cities have. So I love that without having any of the like, it takes forever to get across town and traffic and everything else. Yeah, because you remember London when we lived at King's Cross mm -hmm. and our friends lived, say, down in Putney. It took ages to get down there. Right? Edgeware Road. Edgeware <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Road on a weekend. Edgeware Road on the weekend. Yeah. Exactly, right? Just transiting oh through. Oh my God. Yeah. It was such a pain it in did, the ass. It take, once you had friends in the north and the south of London, like the distance that you were crossing and the time it took to get across was yeah. just, it was too big. And London, like everybody has their own neighborhood. Everyone has everything they need within yeah. a, a short walk of their place. So you've got your favorite local pub. You do. You've got your favorite restaurants that yeah. are local. And so when you want to go out with friends, you're like, well, why don't you come down here to our area? And we'll go out at whatever our favorite place, right? But that means that one of you has to travel 45 minutes to get there. Plus. Yeah, plus. Yeah. Depending on how Edgeware Road was doing that day. <laughs> There's so many times waiting at that station. Yeah, I think the food-wise, as much as I loved Taipei... I mean... Well, the okay, the night markets win for that. Yeah, night markets in Taipei were awesome. And that whole nightlife. But on the counter side, like, I found the whole city was kind of up late, which meant in the morning, if you wanted coffee, it was really very difficult to find like a morning coffee. Like, Well, you were... had a baby that was waking up very early in the morning. And so then nothing would okay, be open. But right? like there was a couple chains and I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's like the Starbucks of Taipei. That was open right. and there was definitely locations for it. And it was breakfast thing and stuff. But if you wanted a nice espresso with the latte art whatever the handful of places and there was one near us didn't open to 11 right on a weekday and i'm like i thought that was a little bit bizarre and open it. at 11 meant like oh like lifting the door grate open and like door, warming yeah. up the machine yeah i would say toronto's food is the best because toronto in my opinion i think is the most multicultural city in the world yeah and it translates into the food and especially like this time of year like we're recording this now in july like Toronto goes through like a street festival every weekend, multiple street festivals for like every different ethnicity and nationality. And like, these are not small little communities. Toronto has something like seven Chinatowns, six. There's a lot of Chinatowns, distinct I mean, Chinatowns. It has like the two that are at least a good size. And then you also get like Richmond Hill Markham stuff as well, if you count yeah. that too. Yeah. Like, sorry, the GTA then. Yeah. Fine. yeah? Is that better? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think the food, though, in Toronto is always the winner on it. I've said that often when people ask, like, is there anything you miss about living in Toronto? Like, other than family and friends, of course, of course, which, I mean, doesn't really count because if you just move there and you don't have family and friends, that doesn't count. It's yeah. not fundamental to the city. But the only thing I miss about Toronto is the food. Because the thing is, it's so multicultural that you have so many ethnicities there that 
there are restaurants that cater to those ethnicities. And so those people know what good, like their ethnic food is. They know the good stuff. And so these places only stay in business because people from that country know what's good. And there's enough of them there to keep those good places in business. Yeah. Which is very different than, you know, I don't know, like you come to Europe and some Mexican food restaurant opens or some Chinese food place opens. Do you remember that time in London? This is England, UK. (laughs) We were at like whatever the branded mall, West something mall in Shepherd's Bush area. So it was like a big shopping mall. And we were in the food court. The mall had just opened and the food court was like international foods. And we were at the Mexican place and the people behind us were like, what's the difference between a burrito and a taco? And you and I were like shocked. But at the same time, I'm like, it's not completely foreign in London, but there's not as populated an amount of that ethnicity there to bring that kind of food. So I remember we were shocked, but then I was like, actually, I do get why that's a thing. And then when you think about Toronto, we also have a lot of the Caribbean type food as well. Right. And I think you used to like one place, one of your old jobs, I think was a roti place that you quite liked. But like- Over in Parkdale, yeah. Yeah. Well, we have Carabana as well in Toronto. Like- the amount of uh, amazing good food is... And the thing Toronto I find wins. now is that there's enough, like, of every ethnicity type of food that now there's fusion restaurants yeah. that'll do, like, it'll be, like, Korean and I don't well, know. Well, isn't what that what the Banh Mi Boys yeah, is? Yeah, Banh Mi Boys is basically that, right? Like Because it should be, like, Vietnamese... Banh Mi, yeah. Yeah, but then the bao is, like, Chinese. Yeah. And then some of the fried chicken is a bit more Korean in it. and Yeah. And it's so amazing. I know, right? I yeah. love Banh Mi Boys. That's the yeah. one thing I get every time I come back to yeah. Toronto. Yeah, like the fusion. <laughs> so good. And the food in Amsterdam is fine. And I think the tourists, there's enough tourists around that kind of keep at least a few interesting places in business. Yeah. But it's just nothing like it is in Toronto. Would you take anything from Belgium, from Brussels? In your magical favorite, like you've manufactured the perfect city. Beer? The beer was good in Belgium. Well, I will say, okay, the pedestrianized area at the center of Brussels is really nice. Yeah, I like And I wish too. Amsterdam had that. I really yeah. do. Amsterdam really has to do better at pedestrianizing their city center because right now it's kind of shit, right? Like the there's Bayern... some parts that are, but they're yeah, like completely... but it's got like that Bayernkorf traffic jam that's there every day, every yeah. weekend. It's a line of cars. It's kind of annoying, but yeah. So the pedestrianizer area of Brussels, but it really is the beer in Belgium. I would say I did not enjoy the food in Belgium at all because it's basically choose which French restaurant you want, which some people love. And I know like, if you like French ever. food, but I find it just too heavy and too much cream and butter. Sometimes there'd be Italian restaurants, but it was basically French food and Italian food and everything else was like way down the list in quality. So there might be like a Korean place, but it's totally like it's not worth going to. So Belgium was all about the fancy French food, right? Like you go out for your two and a half hour lunch with your coworkers and the wine glasses are on the table and it's a three or four course meal and you have cappuccinos afterwards and that's what and it was white all about. asparagus and white asparagus yes and it's doused in cream and butter and it would have like a creamy holidays type sauce, but the yeah. beer was good and i remember going to those the i remember it was good too yeah oh yes that's true the cheese and they would also have cheese made at breweries too which was also oh, like the monasteries good. yeah i remember first going to brussels and just being overwhelmed by the amount of beers on the menu there'd be pages and pages and pages and i didn't mm. understand it and so then i made it my goal to understand Belgian beer. And I got mm-hmm. the big book and I drove out to all the breweries and saw like I visited dozens and dozens of them. And I finally found out like what types of beer I like and what types yeah. of beer I don't. And so I guess I would take the beer as my. You know what I would love to include in this magical city? The cleanliness of Tokyo. Yeah, true. Unbelievably. I was just there in March. Right. I cannot. Admittedly, it's been like 22 years since I'd been. And so then, okay, 
back then, like I was quite a bit younger and it was, I wouldn't really travel the world quite a bit yet. And so I definitely had just culture shock and that's the biggest memory of Japan was so different. Yeah. So, but this time around in March, I'm like, for sure it's different and this and that, but like the cleanliness of a city that big was to me, I think striking. I think I sent you a bunch of pictures to be like, look at how clean the streets are. Yeah. Like so, so clean. And everything always looked freshly painted and striped. And in the mornings, like people outside their shops were also cleaning in front, the street right in front as well. Like, right. although you can't really find any garbage bins. So it's very perplexing how it all works. Well, I mean, it's Japanese culture that people just take their garbage with them yeah. and throw it out at home. That's a normal thing. Now, the thing is, like, Toronto is a very clean city compared to American cities. It's actually really funny. I got a message from a Patreon supporter recently who moved to the Netherlands because of the channel, which I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. I think I've heard that from well over 100 people who have wow. told me directly. And it must be more who haven't told me. But it is hundreds of people who have moved to Europe or to the Netherlands because of not just bikes. And they were coming from the United States and they commented that this city is so ridiculously clean. And what I think is funny is that I, I think don't find it that I don't clean. find it that clean because I think what happens is like garbage bins get overflowing and then wind But there's comes. enough of them that I've noticed that have the poor design where they're like open lid yeah. kind of style or like it's quite open. Like there's no foot pedal to like actually like open it up and yeah toronto has good it. garbage bins right those big yes. ones with the recycling and stuff that yeah. you press the foot pedal down and to open here them. we get wind all the time it yeah. just takes one big windstorm and you just have flying garbage down the street and i have noticed that it seems to be a, okay, maybe because we've had so many windstorms in the last couple months but i feel like i see a lot more they do come by and clean it like they come they by do. with the guys and they'll have the street cleaners and the little ones that go in the bike lanes too. I think and we just have more windstorms than we have. Clean I think it is. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the thing. Whenever there's a windstorm, it gets really dirty. Yeah. And of course, if the city center can get very dirty too. the city center is a different city, though, right? It's kind of like a Disneyland. So that's I don't really count what happens there. But certainly when there's lots of tourists in or if there's King's Day or something like that or Pride, then it can get very dirty there, too. But yeah, but they do a pretty good job of cleaning it up the next day, I find. I'm always impressed with how much they can clean up after a big festival. Yeah. 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 But nothing beats what I saw in Tokyo. In Tokyo, no. Like, it's a whole other it's yeah. a whole other thing. And then the transit in Tokyo was just so cool too. Like it's everywhere. Like metros, trains, high speed, normal speed trains. And what was pretty amazing was seeing how international the signage was. Because I think I right. from what I could visually see was definitely like the Japanese. I saw Chinese. And there was a lot of stuff in English and there's probably other languages maybe I didn't see as carefully. Like maybe there was Korean, I just didn't notice. Right. And a lot of the electronic, well, all of the metros I remember taking had the electronic signs, like cycling through a lot of that signage and the language. The wayfinding was really fascinating. Like before you get to the station, it already gives you like a visual map of where to go in the station. Left for these specific exits, right for these other exits. Even Google Maps was better in Japan that when you did wayfinding, it would tell you where in the train to be and then which exits to go to. But I guess, I mean, they kind of have to because it's so busy in those stations that otherwise I think it helps them eliminate the congestion. That's at least my assumption right. that the more of this wayfinding they do, they can move people through these stations better. It's so different than when I first went to Japan in whatever it was, 2003. There was like no English on the signs at all. I was there in 99, 2000, and my memory was nothing in Tokyo. But we were supposed to be talking about five years in the Netherlands, not Japan. Well, you, so. you were asking me <laughs> Fantasy City, right? Okay, so the yeah. Fantasy City, we would have the cleanliness and transit of Tokyo. Yeah. We would have the... I'd have the bikeability and everything, the of, city size of Amsterdam. Of, of the Netherlands, yeah. yeah. What would you take from London? I don't think we talked about that. We took food from Toronto for sure. Yeah. I mean, London, we always loved like a nice pub 
Yeah, and, the pub culture was But then great. we found the brown cafes here, and I feel like we found the replacement. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, London, what do you have left to offer me? I mean, London is a city where there is everything, right? Like yeah. you can do anything, no matter what you like, there's something there for you all the time. And it's yeah. certainly open a lot later than Amsterdam. Is. It was a great hub for travel too. That's true. Yeah, it was good. So now that it's been like five years in the Netherlands, like, what are you thinking with the whole thing? How does it compare? Like, how do you are thinking on it now compared to like when we first got here? We're all settled in, right? Like, this is it. We're staying. Yeah. When I think of all the different places we've lived over the years together, like when we got together, we already were like, I think we want to leave the little village of Canada and see what yeah. else is out there in the world. And so it was a bit of like, we're just building up a little bit of work experience in Toronto before we move abroad. And then we were in London. I think we were pretty settled in London for the first bunch of years. But then we did this comment to Taiwan. And then the thing in Belgium came up. I don't know. It always felt a bit like we're doing this for a couple of years until something else comes up. Right. And this time around, it's much more like now we're here. Well, because I think the thing is, we were in Belgium and we moved back to Canada. And that was supposed to be like, OK, we have kids now. We've done our now let's put some roots down. Yeah, and... we've been roving around the world and we've been to 60 countries or whatever. And... Yeah. And we've lived in several countries and now it's time to go home, if you will. Yeah. But then we had reverse culture shock, right? And then yeah. it just wasn't the same. And after living in all these wonderful walkable places with good public transit and decent cycling, you know, even before living in the Netherlands, of course, it was decent, at least maybe not perfect. And I guess we came back to Toronto and then it's just I wasn't happy with it pretty much immediately. Right. Like I was like I was trying to settle yeah, I was in, fine but... for longer. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to if settle we in, still but I just there, wasn't liking it. If we were still there, I think I'd probably be fine. Like, I think the social circle is strong enough to, like, maintain my life happiness. But I think yeah. there'd be a lot of things grinding on us. Like, the pace of, like, making streets safer is so slow. And yeah. just the hostility on the streets. And the getting run off the, the road on And the arms and race and of it all. And, like... The giant know. trucks. And I mean, I don't know. I got hit by a car, too, when I was yeah. crossing at a marked crosswalk just by somebody not paying attention. And yeah. that would have been much worse than it was, right? Yeah. Like, I thankfully just got away with some very sore knees for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and had some trouble walking. But, like, I recovered, as far as I know. But I don't know. I was going pretty insane by the end of our four years there. And I, I was yeah, starting to get angry. Like, like I was you were like, turning I was, into the really Yeah, angry. I was turning into that typical angry cyclist, right? Yeah. It, because it's these constant, well, it's what people would call microaggressions, right? Like, but also major aggressions of being run off the road, being honked at, being yelled at, like having people constantly look down on you. Coworkers too, being like, when are you going to get a car? You know, like, I was just like, fuck off. I just want to live my life. And I was pretty sick of living a few hundred meters away from the kids' school, but still feeling like we couldn't let them go on their own because there's drivers who run stop signs. Yeah, and don't I hated how much it was like an identity of our life. I yeah, really, I really didn't. I like really that. didn't like being thought of as a cyclist either because I honestly don't care about bikes. Like I really don't. I mean, that's part of the reason for the name of the channel, right? Is that even when we were moving to Amsterdam, people in Toronto was like, "Oh, I know why you're going to Amsterdam. It's because of the bikes, right?" And I'm like, no, no it's not, it's just, not bikes. just bikes. It's no. like, it's so much more than that. You just don't get it. Like yeah. it's, the bikes are I, almost it, like a secondary thing. It's your, right? Is it still your trailer to your channel, that video? It's Houston is the trailer. Oh, it's now because you used to have that one video a while ago. And it's so true because it was Harlem. And it was the end of our trip when we came here a couple years before we moved here. And we stayed in Amsterdam and then we gone to Harlem. And you were just in awe of this city that was right. like, Relatively the size of the city that you grew up in. And smaller, much smaller. Half the size, I think. Serious? It? Yeah. London, Ontario is what? Over 400,000 people in Harlem, I think, is only 200,000. Wow. I, I'm sure I'll have people like bugging me on Mastodon and stuff <laughs> if I get it wrong. But 
Yeah, but I remember your reaction when we were there. And I remember too being like, this is weird. I thought I was a big city person. I don't understand why I actually like it here. And like, I could see there was a lot of stuff to do and there's a lot of cafes and there's people out. The beach was really close by. It was like just a pretty cool city. Yeah. Um, and it was weird because it was small. And that was also a really strange reaction for me too. Well, that was honestly the time when it finally clicked that we always kept moving to bigger and bigger cities because... We wanted to go to Hong Kong for a while too because we yeah. went to visit a right, lot. Right, right. Yeah. We wanted to move there. You were negotiating yeah. with your job. It never worked out. But yeah. yeah, we were like, we were even looking at apartments. Holy crap, that's expensive there. But that's all other story. But yeah, we were always looking at bigger cities because we thought bigger cities were what was required for there to be all these interesting things around. But it's not. It's just the walkable areas where... There can be enough people within walking distance to get foot traffic means that there's going to be things that aren't just chain stores. It's not just going to be McDonald's and Canadian Tire and Home Depot and stuff, right? Like there'll be all sorts of different things out there. Nothing wrong with Canadian Tire. Nothing wrong with Canadian Tire. Yeah, Canadian Tire. I know you said that you miss Canadian Tire. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I think if I had stayed in Toronto, I would have just gone insane. I would have just become an angry cyclist. I would have tried to avoid going out as much as possible. I know I had already got into model trains because I was basically just like, I need a hobby that I can do at home and don't need to go outside. Mm. Um, and I was becoming a bit of a hermit already after four years. I didn't want to go outside. I just I didn't want to go out on a bike or I didn't want to even just go walk and go somewhere because like I'd been hit by cars. I'd been yeah. run off the road. You were getting really like, angry. Yeah, that's for sure. I was just done with it. Yeah. And so coming here, it was just a breath of fresh air. It's like I never care about this. It's not even in my mind. And every once in a while, I remember it when I'm like walking along or cycling along. And I'm just like, wow, I'm so glad I don't have to care about that anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's so sad because Toronto should be one of the best cities in the world. It's got so many good elements I to know. it. And the sad part is it's just being overrun with cars. That's really it, right? Like that's what it is. It's the fact that like we would go out to Broadview uh, Street, which is near our house, and the speed limit there was 40. And I remember I broke down and bought that radar detector yeah, so I could did. see how fast cars were going. Because you also want to be like, is it in my head? Yeah, right? Am I crazy here? Yeah. Like it's 40 kilometer per hour speed limit. It feels like people are going way faster. And I would just go out there. I talked about this on the podcast episode with RM Transit about how the police just don't enforce traffic laws in Toronto. I would go out to this road and I would never have to stand there for more than five minutes before I'd catch a car going twice the speed limit. So that's 80 and a 40. Yeah, easily. And yeah, I did. I caught some going over 100, yeah. right? But it was never more than five minutes that I had to wait to find a car going over 80. And I'm like, why aren't the police doing this? Like, if I can go out here in five minutes, catch a car going over 80, it's just because they don't care. And this or was they're like... assigned to other things. Yeah, it, you know? well, they would always say, the police would say, oh, we're busy with more important things. You know, we're solving crimes out here. But at the same time, they were also against cameras. Like yeah. safe speed cameras. And they've started rolling those out in Toronto, but people vandalize them and stuff. Like there's just this general, well, I mean, I'm not going to rehash it because I talked about it with Reese in the previous podcast episode, but it's just that it's basically impossible to get a ticket for speeding in Toronto. First of all, you have to get a cop that cares and then you have to actually get pulled over and then you have to not be able to talk your way out of it. And even then you can go to one of those places like X Copper and get the ticket removed. Yeah. Like it used to be that... If you said that you wanted to fight it in court, you'd show up in court. And if the police officer that gave you the ticket didn't show up in traffic court, then it would just be null and void. But like, of course, the cop wouldn't show up because he's got better things to do than sit in traffic court for some like speeding ticket. Yeah. Right. And so the odds of actually getting a speeding ticket and having to pay it in Toronto are nil. And people drove accordingly. And I mean, we knew people that got killed by cars, too. Right. So 
I mean, if you think about yeah. Erica Stark, right? That was shocking. And it's crazy, right? And I think this was the thing. And having been hit by a car myself, by a driver who wasn't paying attention, I did everything you were supposed to do, right? And I still got hit by a car. And so I looked at this and I thought, we're just going to be next, right? It's going to be us one of these times. We're going to be walking along the sidewalk and some SUV going twice the limit, loses control, goes up over the sidewalk it's and kills how often us, right? Happened. It happened all the time. People are killed in Toronto all the time Yeah. by just somebody goes off the road onto the sidewalk and kills them. Like they were on the sidewalk when they were I killed. I think for me, it was like, because I know you really want to move back to Europe. For me, it was like our youngest was going to a daycare at Queen and Sherburn Parliament. Yeah, Parliament. It was on Parliament. And where they were, like, in the couple years that he was there, there was, like, a car smashed into the pizza place, a car right. smashed into the shopper's drug mart. Yeah, that was in my car smashing into buildings thing, right? And I did that early on in the channel because that was messed up. It's just crazy. Oh, and when the school bus flipped over? Oh, yeah, that's right. The school bus got T-boned by an by SUV. and who the, ran a red light coming the school off. school bus got knocked off over. Ramp, yeah. And it was a school bus full of kids, like... Yeah, yeah, I mean, that school bus full of kids just really, like, shocked me, like... But this is the thing, like, it's just out of control, and you can't do anything to restrict cars in Canada. Like, if you were to suggest that, I don't know, you block off a street, like the way they do here with but modal like, filters... Yeah, but, okay, I will say, what I found interesting living here is that it's not like it's a car-free paradise. No, of course not. Everyone I work with owns a car. Yeah. Everyone does. Actually, yeah. like when you look around, like there's a lot of cars out. I think you've done the stats on like car ownership in the different areas, but like it is very normal to have a car. Traffic is definitely a thing. It's about 60% of households in all of Amsterdam don't own a car. And there's some areas that are higher than others. So yeah. the majority of households in Amsterdam are car free, but it's still quite normal to own cars. Yeah. It's not like people are like anti-car. Anti -car. They're not. And the thing They're is, really not. I've said this before when I'm on my live stream sometimes and people ask questions like, why do people still drive in the Netherlands? Because like, it's a wealthy country and cars are a luxury and why wouldn't you own a car, yeah. right? It's not like we stopped wearing wristwatches when we got clocks on our phone, right? We should, in fact, yeah. we should, of course, because yes. wristwatches are dumb and I don't like time bracelets, but people still wear watches and they even buy expensive watches to show off to people. Yeah. You know, people are wearing $10,000 watches sometimes, you know, CEOs and stuff. And it's the same thing with cars here. Like, if you can afford a car, you buy a car. Why not? Yeah, definitely. But people aren't like crazy about their cars. They also don't make some cars are, their though. identity. Some, there's still plenty of like car crazy people here. Of like, course. There are some people who, I mean, yeah. there's like if you go to Apollo Bird, there's people driving around. A PC Hofstrat. A PC Hofstrat driving. Yeah. Like the Bond Street for London or like um, yeah, Fifth it's, Avenue. It's where you'll York, have yeah. your Louis Vuitton, your yes. Prada and all that stuff. And yes. I love going down there because I find it hilarious that there's these people who just think they're more important than everyone else. I watched once where this Lamborghini just pulled up in front of Prada and just stopped blocking the whole road. And they got out and went into Prada. And then there was... Did they just left their car in the middle of the road? Well, it's kind of pulled off to the side, but it wasn't enough that they could get around. And then this Maserati came up behind and he was like honking his horn and behind him's a Ferrari and they're all getting mad. And it's kind of like, it's so funny to watch, you know, yeah. the kind of person that wants to buy a fancy car to show off all pissing each other off. It's just, yeah. it was a spectacle that was hilarious to watch. I wish I had my camera with me. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, I find in Canada, there's so much this whole thing of like, you're a driver or you're a cyclist, right? Like, and there isn't that there. Like, no. they don't have that. People just take different forms of transportation. People aren't like, oh, yuck, I'm not taking public transit or, oh, I would never ride a bicycle. I'm not poor. There's not that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, no. Like, I guess people just aren't so, like, religious about their form of transportation, I guess. Yeah. I don't think there's, like, the tribiness of it. Yeah. Like, I'm in this one or that one. 
How do you feel about weather? The weather here sucks. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's funny. Like I knew it would rain, but I wasn't expecting the windstorms. The windstorms yeah. are really freaking annoying. And there's yeah. a lot of them. I feel like the first year or two we lived here, there wasn't as much. I think we got rain. super we lucky. lucky. Or were we just like so happy to no, be here and like I th- well, ignoring I- it all? Like <laughs> I remember people telling us that the winter of 2018, 2019 was like really nice. It was less rain than normal. It was more sun than normal. It was less wind than normal. Yeah. So I think we just kind of lucked out with that. I do feel like the last couple of winters, especially this last one where it just went on forever. I was like, oh, mm, I don't know if I would choose this weather in my fantasy city, you know? Yeah. Let's yeah. pick the weather somewhere else. You know, what would you pick, though? Well, because this the thing is, is the difficult thing. What would you pick? I used to live in California, uh-huh. right? Where it was, I don't even know what it is in Celsius. I just remember the weather report was so funny because they'd show the long-term forecast when I lived in Sunnyvale and it was 72 degrees and sunny every day. I don't even know what 72 is in real degrees, but I just remember it was always 72 degrees and sunny every single day. (laughs) And people in California used to say they had two seasons, green and brown. Um, That's funny. But I also remember that kind of sucked for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was insane how much Californians used air conditioning. I googled it. It's 22. Right. Celsius. It's like basically perfect yeah, weather. It's like room temperature. Perfect yeah. room temperature. And yet people would still put air conditioning on in their car. They'd have air conditioning on in every what? shop with the doors open. It was air conditioned in the office. Everything was air conditioned. And I'm like, why? It's 72 degrees and sunny outside every single day. Did you miss seasons? Yes. But that was the other thing. I really miss seasons, yeah. right? Like, and I do kind of miss that here that we don't have like a proper snowy season. Like it will snow that's every year, bit. but a little bit, but yeah. it's really just kind of shit. A little bit of snow on the ground. Yeah. And that's it. Every once in a while we get a but big But it's not like storm. London or Belgium were any better for that either. No, it's all relatively not. the same. London here, Belgium, basically the same weather, right? Like I find it's more windy here, but yeah. Yeah. I actually like the Toronto has big seasons. Yeah. Although I do feel like it gets a bit too hot in the summer and a bit too cold in the winter. But eh, even then, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, all the memories of like the really bloody cold, cold winters, like cold. I mean, I grew up in Toronto and I also did do (laughs) high school marching band that went in the Santa Claus parade in Toronto. And that is done in like end of November. And I think a couple of times it was so cold that like basically... Either the snot in your nose was kind of freezing <laughs> or I played a wind instrument. You kind of had to pick the like icy bits out of your instrument because it was getting cold, 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 cold. I could do without that, you know? I remember when I lived in Ottawa, my first day going to work, I was walking to the bus stop and it was very windy. And I remember this big gust of wind came up and I closed my eyes like I kind of grimaced a bit and closed my eyes from the cold. Mm -hmm. And when the wind stopped and I tried to open my eyes, I couldn't because my eyelids had frozen (laughs) shut. And so I had to kind of rub my eyelids a bit to like unfreeze them so that they could open again. That was fun. That yeah. was apparently minus 47 with wind chill, though. And wind chill's not real. So, you know, you, I know you get on such a rant about wind chill. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so five years, right? We've been five years in Amsterdam. Yeah. Here's to another five years, at least, as we're going for permanent residence. Yeah. Eventually yeah. applying going, for a passport. As going well. local. Yeah. I think you already said it a couple of years ago. We're not expats. You consider, we're immigrants. You yeah. consider us immigrants. Yeah. yeah. The kids are in Dutch school. They speak Dutch fluently. My Dutch is decent. I passed the Inbergerings exams. So that's it. We're here to stay. We found the place that we're happy with in the end. Yeah. A place that I don't feel like this is it for the next few years. Like it feels so much. Yeah. It feels so much more long term. Yeah. I have no desire to live anywhere else, at least until we retire and we do what 
every Dutch person does and move to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> I can't picture that either. Amazing how fast the time goes. I know, right? And I don't mean just five years living here. I mean, like, on the podcast. Like, it's kind of fun. And the YouTube channel and everything else. It's been good fun. Yeah, yeah, it has been. It's been surprising. I'm Never on my bingo card of life would I ever have thought that you'd be doing this YouTube stuff. and No, me neither. Podcast stuff. And but, you know, actually, so I know I was just about to finish off, but there is one thing I want to say that I'm kind of glad that we've lived in every place that we've lived. I feel like it's taught us something about it because I feel like mm -hmm. we needed to live, for example, in... Um, we needed to live in Belgium. We needed to live in Belgium more yeah. than anywhere, I think. I think the reason for that is because we needed to see that all of this good stuff is not just because the city is old in or Europe. it's like Europe yeah. or whatever. It's that it can be crappy and overrun with cars like Brussels was in a lot of places. And right? so many of them were smashed. They were smashed up and like they, parking they... was such a problem. You remember how many fights there were on our street about parking? Yeah. That one time where we went on holiday and we parked in the wrong parking spot. Like there's yeah. no, it's just street parking. You park wherever you want. But we had parked in front of our neighbor's house and then we went on holiday and then she was so angry that we had left the car there yeah. in her spot, right? Yeah. yeah, I remember. And it's not an inevitability that these cities are going to be great, right? Just because they're old, just because they're Europe. Yeah. We both talk about how we didn't like living there. I often talk about Brussels like I did time there. but <laughs> um, It's getting better from what I hear and we, I should go yeah, back. Yeah, we and should probably really video, go back. Yeah. But it definitely like gave a lot of perspective for like cities and what we want to yeah. have out of life and what makes us happy about where we live. And I'm glad we moved back to Toronto because if we had just moved to the Netherlands from Belgium, we still would have been wondering, well, maybe, you know, we should have gone back. Maybe we would have been happy there. I feel like we needed to scratch that itch. Yeah, we had to go back. Mm -hmm. We had to try that. I feel like I had to live in California to see that a place with perfect weather on the other side of the continent was still exactly the same as London, Ontario. Yeah, where people talk like way. us. Yeah, the people even talk like <laughs> us, except they say hella, which I still say sometimes. Yeah. That's hella cool yeah. <laughs> because of my time in California. I feel yeah. like we had to live in Taiwan to see like the Asian experience, right? And how that differs. I think all the times visiting your parents in Hong Kong too. Was yeah. also another perspective. Yeah, of, um, my parents lived in Hong Kong for a few years as yeah. well. And that was But I necessary. mean, there's so many other parts of the world we haven't even... But really we've traveled to so many places, at least. We haven't lived yeah. in necessarily in those places, but we've traveled to more than 60 countries, right? And so yeah. I feel like there's certainly big gaping holes in the place we've been. Like, I've never been to India. And so that's yeah, like, a, that's a big one. And so there's places like that we just haven't been. But I still feel like we've been to enough of the world to really experience it. So that when we come here to the Netherlands and I talk about on the channel how great it is and I talk about all these things, I'm talking from experience, right? Yeah. I, I'm not just saying it. And I think people who just pop into the channel and don't know my history and our history. You know what didn't talk about on this thing yet? What? How did we get this long without talking about trains? <laughs> like, I... Oh my God, this might have to be a follow-on podcast. <laughs> but just to say, like, the trains are so shitty in Canada. Yeah. And like one of our last experiences before we moved was even trying to visit somebody celebrating like a wedding anniversary or whatever oh in God, one of those cities yes, in Guelph. and having realizing that the routing was always taking us back to Toronto to take a bus back out to the Guelph. Because we were in London, Ontario, and we just wanted to go to Guelph on the weekend for a friend's party. That's yes. It. And we just without driving. It was basically impossible to do. Yeah. It was like we took a train part way to Kitchener and then we had to switch to a bus and we had to wait for like an hour and a half for no, that No, we bus. waited longer. We ended up meeting somebody for lunch. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, we did. That's right. Yeah. Oh my God. 
And then we stayed overnight in Guelph and took the like the morning commute. Yeah, because there home. was no train back to Toronto except nope. Monday morning. So we had to get a hotel downtown by Which the train kind of station. Liked, to be honest, it was kind of cool. To well, see downtown in Guelph is Guelph, kind of cute yeah, and all. But, but, but still, trains, like, like when you're in Europe, I mean, in my fantasy city too, I think I guess I said Japan, but like, I think what I love about see, Japan being on an island is not the same. I think when you're in Europe, you could just pop on a train and like, Six, seven, eight, whatever hours, night train away. Yeah, we've, like a, we've gone to Austria, we've gone to Switzerland, like in your completely different country. Yeah, right. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. It's just so much easier to get around and stuff. Well, that it. is a huge benefit of being in Europe is that you can go to all these interesting places with a totally different culture, totally different language, totally different food, and it's a mm -hmm. very short trip to get there. Yeah, I whether do love it. whether you're flying or driving or taking a train or whatever, it's just there's so many interesting possibilities within a short distance, and that is true. That's one I can't believe we've gone like over an hour, and yeah. we're just getting to it now. I was just remembering like what popped into my head was sometime in the first year, I think I'd taken the Eurostar back from London and I'd surfaced at Central Station. And when I popped out of the station, it was, I think it was the evening, but I remember looking and being like, ah, I feel like I'm at home. Yeah, right. And then it was the memory of that feeling and being in the train station and remembering the trains being like, there's been quite a few trips that we've done where you can just get around easier by train. It's been really... I took the kids to Copenhagen by train and... Yeah, that was ago, actually kind right? of cool because it was yeah. a longer trip for sure. You stopped through Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah, we've done the night trains too. There should be more night trains. Oh my God. There, there need to be, be so more. many more night yeah. trains. I know, you know what else there needs the to be? Manufacturers more, are backed more up. More for the skiing. That's the one that like drives me crazy. Is that oh, yeah, snow train? True. There's only a limited amount that go and they sell out always within the first day. I find, like that with a lot of, there. I find it with a lot of trains in general. Like even yeah. we were looking at taking the train down to Interlaken, yeah? Yeah, and, I think so. And it was so hard to get the train back. It was needlessly hard. It wasn't actually that hard. There are lots of trains. It's not that difficult. But it was just needlessly hard. Deutsche Bahn's website was having issues. It's yeah, hard the booking to choose. systems are just not the same as Choosing the seats was difficult. Yeah. There were trains that were sold out or at capacity. And it was just dumb how difficult yeah. it was. It needs to be easier to take the train. But it's nice that we can take the train at yes. least. It's not like when we wanted to go down to London, Ontario to see my parents. We lived in Toronto. Like, you're talking... Toronto, a city of over 2 million people in a region of 13 million, going down to London, Ontario, 400,000 people. That is about a two and a half hour drive away. And there are what, like three trains a day, four trains a day. I think before COVID, there were maybe five trains a day. And they take like three hours. It takes longer than driving and the train's painful That's and they crazy. weigh your luggage. It takes longer and, than driving. Like ugh, it shouldn't. Of course it shouldn't. But, you no. know, they got away for freight trains. Yeah, we could do a separate long chat about the stupidity of how they board trains in Canada. They just take all the crappy parts of the airplane experience. They make you wait. They don't let you go to the platform. I don't know why. Why well, don't they? I don't know. You have to stand in line like you're in an airport. Inside the terminal. Like, it's yeah. so bizarre. I do love the feeling like one of the stations I really like in the Netherlands is uh, Utrecht station. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them do transit tours like Germany through that station. It's just nice. Or when I'm from Central, when you get to the station, you go pop up and you can take the train to Paris. Yeah. I'm like, I just wait on the platform, hop on the train. Oh, that up. reminds me. I need to make a video about it. But I was doing that contract out to uh, Driburg and Zeist, right? Mm -hmm. And that station is so nice for such a small town. It was just such a beautiful station. But yeah. also what made me think about it is when you're talking about Utrecht, if I went from Zoud, Amsterdam Zoud station, I had to change trains at Utrecht. But it was set up so there was a cross-platform transfer. So my train got in and then you literally just went across the platform. You didn't have to go upstairs yeah. and change. 
it was like whatever it was in platform 17 and it's on 18 that is nice because when you even think about the ones in switzerland where like you have like a six minute transfer yeah you often do have to go up and down stairs but they you do always some, make it yeah they do some cross-platform transfers those yeah. smaller stations there but I remember that was just so amazing that it's like, even if I have to get multiple trains, it's a cross-platform transfer. So yeah. I stop. I literally just walk across the platform. And within a few minutes, the train is there and yeah. I continue on and just, oh my God. If anyone's Dutch listening, they're probably being like, oh, but the trains are so bad. No, they're like, going to be like, it's terrible outside of the Ransad. Nah. But there's always a, a, like, there's a general complaint around the trains. And I'm like, I hear you. It can probably be better. Of course it could be better. It could be cheaper. But you have no better. idea how much worse it could be. <laughs> oh my God. And still, even when people complain about it and say, well, it's the Randstad, even though it's really not. The yeah. trains are good in other places too. But even when people do complain that the public transit isn't good in their particular region, I'm like, that's fine. Let's make it better. It doesn't mean we should drive. Let's just make the trains better everywhere. But yeah. like... The trains can be great. And my experience with the trains has been phenomenal. We've had a few. But even like, so I definitely focus on the international bit, but like yeah. even just regionally within the Netherlands, the fact that I went with a friend down to Rotterdam for lunch. Right. So easy. Blows your mind, yeah. eh? I think in Toronto, I could kind of do that from Toronto to Oakville. Oakville, Mississauga, I used to meet a friend there for lunch and that was doable on the GO train. I could do that. Because well, that, that was... was when they started doing them every half hour, I think, the trains yeah. every half hour through the day. But yeah. most GO train routes are not like that. I really hope with the upgrades of with electrification, yeah. they'll finally be or able the to Or the times that. I've had to go down to the Canadian Embassy Consulate, wherever right. the building is called that does our passports. And it's down in De Hague. I feel like this so podcast could go on forever because now I start thinking about all the times when we had just some random thing to do, right? Like, I don't know what it is. You have to go to do something that you rarely have to do. Something for the kids. Mm -hmm. or you have to go to a birthday party location. Or you have to go to that one doctor specialist that you never go to except that one time. And in Toronto, it was inevitable that we'd have to get a car share car mm -hmm. every single time. Mm -hmm. It was guaranteed that if it was out of your norm, if it was anything like abnormal that you wouldn't do on a day-to-day -day basis, guaranteed you had to rent a car to do it. And here... We can get a car share car, but so many times it's like you can get there by public transit. You can get there by cycling. You can get there by like other alternatives, right? Yeah, that's true. And it's crazy to me because this is still one of these things that blows my mind even today. And it was like even going out to Driebergen when I had to do that contract out there. I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to have to get a car to do this, you know, definitely. And then I look into it and I'm like, no, actually, for the exactly the same amount of time it would take to drive. I could take transit out there. And then I also don't have to worry about parking or anything like that, paying for parking or finding parking. And so in the end, it was even more convenient. And public transit should be cheaper for sure. But there are also lots of options to make it cheaper. Like you can get the subscriptions for discounts off peak hours and you yeah. can get group travel discounts. And there's a whole thing where kids under 12 travel for free, right? Mm. And so... I don't know, man. And it was like even my business park video where I had to go out to that appointment oh, yeah. at the business park in Hofdorp, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to have to get a car. I had the immediate Canadian sensation of like, okay, well, you know, got to pick up a car share car. Let's look at it. But then I'm like, no, you know what? I should probably just look at the map and see what public transit directions. And sure enough, easy to do by public transit. And that was something that just never, ever, ever happened in Canada. You know, you said the channel was named around like you know, we moved here and it's not just bikes. Yeah. I think you could literally just say, look, it was just trains. It is just trains. It's and just oh, trains. trams too. I mean, I love the trams. It's just trains. Oh, oh my God. And this podcast could go on forever. I, I think we're going to have to leave it at just it. trains? No, because I want to talk very briefly about trams. You got me on trams <laughs> now. 
So the thing that used to drive me nuts, I love trams, right? They're my favorite way of getting around a city, period. Yeah. Trams are the best. I will die on that hill. I love, though, the transit priority. Like, on, yeah, well, on the, that's what okay. I was going to get yeah. to, right? Because when you would take the streetcar, because they don't use normal words there, it's called streetcars. When you take the streetcar in Toronto, it just gets stuck in traffic. It gets yeah. stuck in red lights all the time. Yeah. Even when you look at Spadina, which has dedicated right away, right? It just sits at every it's red perplexing. light. It is infuriating. And yeah. they go so slowly through the intersections because, well, you can but talk to Arm Transit up, about it. that's they right? That's yeah, how and they it's get... insane, But that right? whole King Street pilot project right before we left yeah. was about trying to remove the cars that were getting in the way. Like, right. That's a big step. But the other part was that you still had that... And it was great. It was so much more consistent and reliable. Yeah. But you would still get stuck at red lights. I'm like, why? And even Spina, they get stuck in red lights. And here... You will never see a tram stuck at a red light unless another transit vehicle is going first or yeah. the tram is running ahead of schedule. But other than that, when you're on the tram, it's phenomenal. Like if you come to Amsterdam, ride the tram, stand at the front where you can look out the front and see that every light goes green for you as you go. And it's so reliable and so yeah. quick. And it's just, oh, my God, I love it. I love it so much. And it just makes me so Do you angry. Remember the inconsistency of that King Street streetcar? Yes. It was yeah. insanity. Yeah. Like, I remember sometimes just going from river to, like, parliament could take half an hour. Yeah, which you get a walk. You could walk it faster. Than well, I used to work downtown. Yeah. And often I would look and be like, is there a streetcar coming? No, I don't even see one. I'll just start walking. And I would make it almost to parliament yeah. before it would finally catch up to me. And right. then I would hop on and take the last half home. It's just crazy. crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. It's such a waste because they've got this expensive infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? And trams are the cheapest thing to run. They're way cheaper so to run people and operate than, than, than buses. Oh my God. It's just so awful. And I was talking to RM Transit about this with Reese because mm -hmm. I meet up with him every time I'm in Toronto. So they're doing the Eglinton Crosstown, which is an LRT, and they're doing the Finch West LRT, right? And those are opening presumably any day now. I think it's next year. Yeah, right. But presumably these are opening any day but you know what those are lrts complete dedicated right away the entire line they still don't have traffic signal priority they will still wait at red lights which blows my mind this is like a five billion dollar project these two lrts they are completely separated rights of way the entire way they still get stuck at red lights because toronto just cannot even take a few seconds away from car drivers. They just won't do it. Even it's when amazing, there's... because, like, all of that can be timed. Of course. Yeah. But it just... that That's... Anyway. Maybe we'll end it there. <laughs> before On an I angry get note? A, before I get a rant. Well, yeah. But it's so nice to be here. I love taking the tram here. And I'll take it many times. If I look at cycling directions and tram directions, the tram is usually longer than cycling. How it depends you like where you're going. How driving here? Well, I made a video about it. I do love driving here. Like, I find that I just don't get stuck in traffic very often at all, unless there's a crash or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and every person who commutes to work by car is raging right now when you say they that. They get all raging about it. But the thing is, like, I've even driven in rush hour here, and I'm like, there's traffic, but come on. You people have no idea what traffic is. I know. Is. Like, the rush hour traffic here is like London, Ontario, a city with less than half the population, just at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Like, I it's know. crazy. Like, rush hour traffic here is obviously worse than when it's not rush hour, but it's not bad. It's just there's some traffic and then people get all ragey about it and stuff. They and really I, do. And yeah. I think it's really funny. I think it's like super cute. In the Netherlands, they report on the news the number of kilometers of traffic jam. Like they'll say it's a three kilometer traffic jam today or a five kilometer traffic jam. 
And it's so funny to me because they can't do that in Canada because it would be just infinity kilometer traffic jam every single day. Like it's Yeah, like, they had some other metric. Of... They would always have like how long the delay is, right? Yeah. Like it's a half hour delay. It's a 45 minute delay. It's an hour long delay. Everything was jammed up all the time. So yeah. it was really just how jammed up is it? Is it going to take me half an hour longer than normal than non-rush hour? Or is it going to take me an hour longer than non-rush hour? Yeah. I remember it was infuriating driving the DVP going to when I used to work up in Markham, Markham yeah. and live downtown. It was just bonkers. I know Dutch people get angry at me when I say it, but like your traffic here, man, it's just not traffic. It's just not real traffic. It's not. It's so easy to drive here. Yeah. Because people have alternatives, right? Yeah. Like I know that people and I also get Dutch people saying to me sometimes they'll be like, oh, come to such and such an area. It's just as car dependent as Canada is. And then no, I go and no, check it out and I'm no. like, no, my no. dear. Oh, you sweet summer child. No. I'm like, what they mean when they hear car dependent, they think it's faster to take the car than it is to take, you know, transit or something, right? That's not what car dependent means. Car no. dependent means you drive or you starve. Like, yeah. <laughs> they don't get this because they don't have it here. They don't have car dependency here. They have places that aren't served well enough by public transit, but they don't have car dependency. It's just a foreign no. concept to these people. So I find it difficult sometimes to talk to Dutch people about this. You know, you'll get some Dutch person who'll say like, well, you know, you talk about how great it is here, but I live in this town of 2,000 people and the bus only comes every half hour. Like, you have a bus? <laughs> you have a bus. Then oh <laughs> you're within walking distance of a grocery store and you can cycle anywhere you want. That is what blows my mind. Even the tiniest towns, towns yeah. we've been to, the tiniest little towns, they'll have traffic coming, they'll have safe bike paths. They'll have a little pedestrianized area in the city center. I mean, do you remember? Was it Vanendel that we went Vainendel, to? Vanendel, yeah. And we saw like all the traffic coming, the pedestrianized bits, but then like also like the grocery store. Like you couldn't even figure out what the car access was. Yeah, like, it there, was. Yeah, there was, was a the parking lot sort of, uh, you know, around yeah. Vanendel West. There is a parking lot there, but then like the grocery store was in a pedestrianized area, and everyone. Had it their is bikes funny there, whenever we like... end up in these small towns. You and I are like, wow, look at. That's crazy. That's so different. I'm working on a video about that because I'm going through some of our old footage from our phones and from the GoPro from the first year or two Mm. that we were here. And the things that we thought were worth filming are so funny. They're so funny because they really are that. We're in a small town and they're like, oh, my God, look at this. There's a bollard. (laughs) Look, there's a raised crossing so that Mm. you don't get run over. Like it's just because if you go to a small town in Canada, it's going to be Strodeville. It's just going to be huge, wide roads. There'll be some like major highway running through the center of town. There'll be it's big the highway surface to, parking lots. It's the like, center of town. Do you remember how many of those, like when we used to go skiing in Ontario, we try to stay off the major highways right. on the smaller yeah, ones. People drive like go, mania. They would just go right through these towns. Yeah. And yeah, they would have traffic calming. Not, Not really. really no. They would have signs, right? Yeah. And flashing and maybe a radar and like. They wouldn't have traffic coming. That's the thing. The road would be the same, but then they'd have a speed limit sign that said 50. Also, the speed limit would be 50 through the center of town, not 30. Yeah. And and it would be a four lane strode. And then there would be maybe these like old traditional buildings, but like they were garbage. And then a bunch of them would be bulldozed. There'd be a huge parking lot and there'd be like a no frills or something grocery store. And like it was horrible. I know. So I think it was our such surprise to see these small Dutch towns and be like, wow, these are actually like calmed and livable it's just the livability and the human scale and stuff and there'd be people out walking you'd actually see people out outside like even on a nice day in a small town in canada there's not that many people out walking maybe there'd be people walking their dogs but people aren't walking to go places and it's so frustrating because there are these towns in canada 
that you can easily walk from one side to the other and trivially cycle from one side to the other, but you just don't, you can't. It's too dangerous. There's no sidewalks and there's just big wide roads and a highway running through the center of town and parking lots everywhere. And yeah, the small towns blew my mind yeah. when we came here. They really blew my mind. Me too. Really surprised. Really surprised. We really could talk about this forever. I know. So I mean, I think I should make a YouTube channel about these things. I think a few people would watch it. <laughs> nah. I don't think anyone's that interested. The funny thing is to me, people say like, oh, you know, how long can you talk about urban planning in the Netherlands and stuff like that? And I've got a list of video ideas over 200 long and it just keeps getting bigger. Like I knock a few off and then I get more ideas as we're out and I go to more places and I see these things and I just think this is just mind boggling to me. Like the small towns being perfectly cycle friendly and easy to walk through and they've got bollards and there's cars are cut off and they can't drive through certain places but you can cycle through even in a town of like 5,000 people yeah there's bus service or yeah, trains right. and and i get that like public transit needs to be more expansive everywhere and it would be great if it was cheaper but like at least it's there the framework's all there like mm -hmm. we're just coming from a country where there's nothing there's none of it. it's all been ripped out and then when you look back in the history and you see it used to be there, you used to see in every single small town in Ontario had a train station, every one of them. And they had regular service every single day and it's all gone. And... <sighs> Anyways, love it. I love it here. I'm I so know. happy. Yeah. Five years. It's gone five fast. years. Yeah. Here's to another five. Well, right. thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, it's and been fun. Maybe I'll have you on another time. <laughs> maybe. But, uh, <laughs> I think this is going to be the longest one yet because there's so much to talk about, right? Yeah. Good luck to your editor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. That's all we have on the agenda for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to it almost as much as we enjoyed making it. I really enjoy talking to other content creators about what they find interesting, and a lot of the people I have on this podcast I met since joining Nebula. Nebula is the subscription streaming service created by and for educational content creators and the people who love their content. Nebula has all sorts of educational content from videos to podcasts to classes by your favorite creators, as well as Nebula Originals, which are high budget productions. Honestly, Nebula is such a great platform and I'm so happy for my content to be available there. If you use our special link, which is nebula.tv agenda, you'll get a discount off an annual membership, which comes to only $30 a year, which I think is a fantastic deal. So check out Nebula at nebula.tv agenda and see if there's something of interest to you. At the very least, you'll be able to hear every episode of The Urbanist Agenda a little bit earlier than everyone else so you can get the inside scoop on what we're plotting and scheming. Thanks again for listening and maybe next time you'll be listening on Nebula. <laughs>